I'm Anna, and I'm a youth organizer who teaches sex ed. And I'm Antonia, and I'm a doula. We're here to share unfiltered information about self-managed abortion, otherwise known as SMA. We've interviewed people with wide-ranging perspectives on the medical, legal, technological, and personal questions that arise within SMA. We've built a chorus of voices that demystifies SMA and a platform that people already have as a part of their daily routines. We're not here to tell you what to do or to advocate for SMA, but rather to share stories. Today, we are talking to someone who has self-managed. It is an interview that means the world to both of us because it is a really personal and honest reflection on both the myriad of feelings that went into the decision to uh, terminate, but also the ocean of thoughts, emotions, and self-reflection that came in the wake of an abortion for for this person. So uh, thank you so much to Anonymous. Uh, (laughs) We loved hearing from you, and I'm sure our listeners will too. Thank you. So thank you so much for agreeing to, to sit and talk with me today. I thought we would just start with the big question of what made you want to share your story with us? Yeah, so I um, experienced a lot of um, personal, just, you know, kind of internalized abortion stigma um, when I was making my own abortion um, choices. And that was, you know, a big part of what led me to try to self-manage my own abortion. Um, and I like to speak up about it because I am a person who grew up in a, you know, pro-choice household. My um, mother talked to me about abortion. My family, you know, was very supportive of me and, you know, my beliefs around feminism and women's rights and, you know, my own body and my rights to my body. Um, and despite having like all the support in the world when I needed an abortion, I still felt like I, I didn't deserve support um, and that I needed to just kind of do everything on my own without the support that I needed, be it emotional financial, someone physically being there. I really just like to speak up um, and share my story um, because I think, you know, it can resonate with folks and it can kind of help folks understand why it's really important for us to really start pushing back against abortion stigma and not allow it to exist in really any area of our lives because it can really isolate people and leave them alone and without many options. No, for sure. So you mentioned that you have experienced that that stigma yourself, and I was wondering if you would be willing to elaborate on what that felt like and, and whether you have sort of insight to offer folks who are experiencing that now. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, in, you know, in college, I was a person who did sex ed. Um, I always considered myself to be incredibly, like, knowledgeable about how pregnancy occurs, how to prevent pregnancy, how to keep yourself safe while being sexually active. And um, I was, you know, in a long-distance relationship, and I got pregnant when I wasn't expecting to, even though realistically I knew that the actions I had taken leading up to that unplanned pregnancy 
could have caused an unplanned pregnancy. I kind of just look at it as I got a little bit arrogant and just, I'd gone so long being a person that had safe sex, I just assumed, well, you know, I haven't gotten pregnant up to this point. I can be lax on my birth control, you know, I can maybe not be super serious about the condoms and everything Mm -hmm. will be okay. And it was just like I got to this place of complacency with my own sexual health that I think is really important to to speak out about because I think it's real easy to judge someone who, you know, has an unplanned pregnancy is, you know, the number one thing I've heard from, you know, people when I've shared my story is like, well, why weren't you being more responsible? And I internalized all of that. So as soon as I got that, like that first kind of inkling that I might be pregnant, all I could just hear myself screaming in my head is like, you knew better. You knew better than this. You could have prevented this, but you didn't for whatever reason. And don't understand that, but because you didn't like, you don't deserve support in this moment. Mm -hmm. And, um, I like self isolated and there was no need. I um, was like, I'm just going to have this abortion quietly. I'm not going to burden anyone with it. Um, so when I started looking into abortion options and found out that it was wildly inaccessible to me because of how expensive it was, I felt like I had no options. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I had people I could ask for help, I was so committed to this being my own problem and not wanting to burden anyone with my, you know, and I use air quotes here as I'm talking irresponsibility because I don't view it that way anymore, but that's how I viewed it back then. Um, I just really put myself into a place where I was torturing myself, where I was beating myself up for things I didn't need to beat myself up for. And um, that was ultimately what led me to trying to self-manage that um, first abortion because it just, it was almost a place of desperation, not even a really a choice, but it just felt like the only option I had was to seek ways to end my own pregnancy if I couldn't afford um, to do it on my own. Mm-hmm. And did you feel, you know, you mentioned that you felt like you couldn't talk about it, but that there were folks out there um, who you would be able to share your experience with and your story with. And I'm wondering if you could invite us into, um, those folks who, or I should first ask, like, it sounds like maybe you did talk to them eventually, or you did open up about what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I attempted to self-manage my own um, abortion with herbs. Um, I tried a few different herbal methods that I researched online. That seems like the safest and lowest risk based on what information I could find about those herbs and how toxic they were and how safe they were to take. And just, like, nothing worked. So, mm-hmm. like, first, I, I really want to lift up that I think the only reason I had this, like, moment of realization that people will support me is because I kind of got pushed to a place where I had no other option but to then, like, push myself to a place where I went beyond the stigma I was feeling. And I was like, okay, like, even though you're really worried people are going to judge you, you need help so desperately in this moment. It's, like, worth the judgment. And so I think a lot of people... um when they're seeking abortion services, they get to a place where they're just like willing to be judged and partially and to feel hatred even. And so I think that's really important for the world to understand is um, people are expecting that <laughs> when they start seeking support and love. And that was where I was at. I was desperate. I, my herbal abortion wasn't working. I knew I had to like go the traditional, you know, modern medicine route. And the only way I could do that is if I got support. So um, I first called my mother and, you know, that was the scariest conversation I've ever had. And <laughs> he, um, 
you know, instantly was just like, of course, like, you know, of course I support your decision and I love you. And like, mm-hmm. I, I think she was just mostly like hurt that I didn't trust that she would just love me unconditionally. Like she was worried that she had done something wrong that would lead me to believe I would be judged. And, mm-hmm. you know, it took a while for me to help her understand and for me to understand myself that it wasn't a fear of her judging me. It was just like me thinking I deserve to be judged. Um, and deserve to have some sort of like chastisement coming from, you know, the one person who had always guided me in right and wrong. Um, mm. And so then my mother just was like, yeah, of course, I got you. And what do we need to do? And what's the next step? Um, I cried a little bit and just, you know, explained my, you know, why I kept it to myself to her. And, you know, she told me that she trusted me to make my own decisions. And, you know, the thing that really stuck with me is she just really wanted to remind me that she didn't have me. Um, so I could go on someday and then have children as well. She had me because she wanted to have a kid who would be their own whole person and go on to live their whole life the way they wanted. Mm. So she didn't have me with expectations of who I would be. She just had me with the joy of watching who I would become. And um, that was a really great framing for what parenthood should be too, because I think Sometimes it just gets framed as something that happens to you, not really like a real active choice you make, whether or not the pregnancy is planned. Like my mom viewed me as a choice she was making and not mm. something that just happened to her. And she wanted me to have that same privilege in my own life. Mm. Um, so the conversation went great. We worked out a plan to get support. And then um, the next person I called was my partner, who's now my husband. Mm-hmm. And um, he, I think, was mostly just worried that I would say I wanted to continue the pregnancy. Um, he was very, <laughs> I think, committed to doing whatever I wanted to do. He really respected that, you know, what was happening was happening in my own body. And while it would impact him, he understood that he couldn't, like, force me to make a choice I wasn't willing to make. Um, so thankfully, we were on the same page. Um, he didn't judge me in any of the ways I feared he would judge me. I was worried he would just be mad at me, like mad that I had gotten pregnant and that I was like doing this to our relationship. That was like my biggest fear. Mm. Um, and he wasn't, you know, he just felt bad that this had happened, that I was going through this kind of on my own. Um, and because of both of our financial situations, you know, that he would just have to send me money instead of being there physically to support me emotionally, like in person, mm-hmm. um, which would have been really nice. Um, so once I had my support system together, um, things kind of came together really quickly. Um, I also reached out to an abortion fund, um, which was also a really kind of eye opening part of the stigma process is asking for money and for support is always really, it's already really hard, um, for me, for a lot of human beings. Mm -hmm. And so like asking for money for a highly stigmatized procedure was I thought it was going to be really difficult and I was surprised that they, I just had to answer some, you know, questions about my income and they were able to actually make the procedure at that point affordable for me. Like the abortion fund was really the thing that kind of let me know I could access this care in an actual clinic. Um, so I wouldn't have to pursue anything else, um, with the herbal medic, um, herbal abortion. Mm-hmm. So that sounds like a really beautiful team that you had, uh, there supporting you throughout, um, that decision making process. I'm wondering why, why did you feel like that first conversation with your mom was going to be like one of the hardest ones of your, of your life? Like, do you feel like there were messages that you learned about abortion early on that, that impacted your experience. I think, 
I've been, you know, raised like, you know, sex was not a taboo subject in my household. I, you know, was given the opportunity to go on birth control um, as soon as I wanted to. Um, but, you know, interestingly enough, despite the fact that my parents had been like really open and honest with me about starting sexual activity, I started having sex when I was really young and I was not honest and I did not seek birth control when I first started. Mm-hmm. So I think like no matter how open and honest like your parents can be with you. I think like just the societal messages about sex and purity and chastity and abortion and all of that, it, it's so hard to fight against. Mm. And I knew I was like the only one of my peers when I started having sex that was having sex. Um, so it was like also kind of just like this taboo, you know, I wasn't going to seek the thing that could protect me because it was like, I'd have to verbalize and acknowledge what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe I started too young. I don't know. You know, I don't have a lot of negative thoughts or feelings about um, my earlier sexual encounters. Um, but I do recognize that, like, I just think back to how secretive I was even when with that situation when I had full permission to not be secretive. And then, like, fast forwarding to, you know, when I'm in my mid-20s and I'm facing a similar situation and I choose to remain secretive again. Um and that may have been some of what, you know, was said in the household. I think, you know, even though I was raised, you know, pro-choice and, you know, to not have, like, negative attitudes about people that have abortions, I think there was probably always that undercurrent of, like, the responsible thing, though, is to just prevent pregnancy. Like, that's what responsible people do. And everybody wants to be responsible. Like, that mm-hmm. that word responsible just seemed to, like, reverberate in my head. Like, every time I, like, talk about this or think about this, the, like, responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um just comes like full center and like how bad it is to not be responsible. So um, it's hard for me to really pinpoint where those attitudes come from. But I also recognize I grew up in a um, conservative area. I grew up in a conservative state. Um, I know my sex ed was really screwed up in high mm-hmm. school. And I know my peers had like, you know, really antiquated views about like virginity and, you know, how to protect yourself when you started having sex. And I mean, that was why I got into the sex ed when I was in college. I was just so horrified to see how little my peers knew about how to protect themselves and like how pregnancy even happened. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, while I thankfully had access to education in my home around that, like I certainly probably can't assume I was immune to the messages that were being shared with me and my peers all while we were growing up too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the, the landscape of, of sex education and how it shapes our feelings about sex and abortion and, you know, contraception and all of it. Um, it's, it's just amazing how varying it is across the country and, and how, you know, it has such huge impacts, right? I mean, it's like, it can, it can lead you to feel so powerful and safe and secure if it's done well. And then it can, do the exact opposite. Um, if oh, it, I'm so if sorry. It, There's no. going to be lots of barking here You're for about five seconds. Okay, totally fine. I'm just sort of hovering around what you were saying about like being a responsible person as sort of an identity. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's such a sort of meaty and juicy idea. And from my perspective, it's like, what could be more responsible than listening to your heart and looking at your life and, and really examining how you feel about it and, and being like, no, this is not what I want to do. I don't want to yeah. be a parent right now. Um, and 
Yeah, I was wondering if you could speak to whether you feel your abortion led you to sort of a greater sense of self-knowledge. Like, do you feel like your abortions taught you new things about yourself? Yeah, I, I really do. Um, and maybe not so much my abortion, but just like the storytelling journey that I, I set out on after my abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it's really reframed responsibility for me first. You know, we talk about that and like what responsibility looks like and like really how you ended that comment is where I'm at now with responsibility. Like responsibility to me now is like to really listening to yourself and doing what is best for you and not doing what you think society wants you to do. Like the most irresponsible thing I could have done um, when I was pregnant was continue that pregnancy and have a child. Now that I like really look at it, you know, my partner is at a point in his life where he has the career he wanted. He has an income he wants. He has a life he wants. I think so often we get so wrapped up into like how, you know, like, oh, the life of the child, life of the child, but we don't recognize that like there are also two adult lives that are mm-hmm. irreversibly changed by a pregnancy. And while certainly I'm not going to make a big case for men's rights activists, but <laughs> I, I do recognize that, you know, my partner now husband had rights to like, you know, he had this dream for himself and um, while my choice was not made for him, it was made considering him and made considering his realities and what he wanted for his life too. And it, it just was the responsible thing to do for everyone involved. You know, he got to continue his education. We got to explore our relationship more. You know, we, I don't think we would still be together and be married if we'd had that first child. Uh, you know, I think it would have pushed us to a point where we had to irresponsibly live together and possibly inflict a child to, you know, the Mm -hmm. chaos of two people who hadn't really fleshed out if they were meant to be together and if they wanted to be together, now supporting this whole new life. Um, And I just view responsibility as, like, really, like, not just making choices that society will view as favorable, but making the choices that really will keep you happy and healthy and ready for the future and ready for what's next. Um, you know, especially in this current moment with there being so much uncertainty around, you know, coronavirus and all of that, I just view responsibility so different. I mean, now responsibility is staying home and not going to work where a week ago or two mm-hmm. weeks ago, responsibility was making sure you went to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, you know, responsibility now isn't this like inflexible thing that is just like a, a solid and across all thoughts and feelings, but responsibility is something that shifts and change and really adapts and is something you have to determine based on every single unique situation you're in. Mm, completely hear that. It's, it's completely circumstantial and, yeah. um, and really powerful to redefine for yourself, you know, especially I think given how, influx just we are as people um yeah yeah. and I'm wondering um so I want to flash forward back to that point and you were telling the story of how you know you had been afraid to reach out to your your family members and your partner about this initial decision to to terminate 
And then you decided to, or with the help of that abortion fund, you were able to access clinical care. And I'm wondering um, if you could speak to what happened in that clinical setting, if you want to talk about it. But um, I'm also just really curious, given that this is a podcast about self-managed abortion, what it felt like to have the clinical setting on the one hand and the home setting on the other and sort of what the pros and cons of each were for you. Yeah. So I, you know, I think important to talk about is even though I did have the abortion in clinic, I chose a medication abortion. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think one value that remained really consistent throughout all of this, both my choice to self-manage and then when that didn't work, my choice to do a medical was that I really wanted the process to happen in my own home. I didn't like the idea of being sedated, of, you know, like being in a procedure room, having anything invasive done, like all of that, like really made me uncomfortable. In fact, the the thing I feared the most about the actual abortion appointment was I was worried they were going to do a vaginal ultrasound. Mm. Um, That just seemed really unpleasant to me. I just didn't want, you know, I, I don't know what it is about me. I'm, I, I'm uncomfortable mm-hmm. with my annual pap smear. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I really hate that appointment. So I'm not sure I, there are very um, many people out there who enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's truth. a good point. I don't think anyone's like, yay, pap smear. But in general, it's like, you know, it's, I remember like my first pap smear, I cried through the whole thing. It's just mm-hmm. like a really hard thing for me to do. So I already was really like uncomfortable, I think, with the idea of the clinical side of care. Um, and Ultimately, I think if I could have just like gone to the pharmacy and gotten the medications on my own, I, that's what I would have opted to do and leave a, left the doctor out of it completely. And I don't know why I'm like that, but I think it's just a, like a, a privacy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's also just a comfort level. And I'm just really comfortable with the idea of my body kind of doing what it is designed to do, even if it's kind of being artificially induced to do that thing. I just know that like, the human body knows how to have a miscarriage. Um, millions of women have had miscarriages mm-hmm. um, and safely have had miscarriages. And um, it just, you know, it just felt like how I wanted the process to happen. I wanted to be home in my jammies. I wanted my mom there to rub my back. Mm-hmm. Um, once I knew I could involve my mom, I extra wanted her there to um, rub my back. And um, I wanted to be able to, you know, like watch the TV shows I wanted to watch and, you know, Mm-hmm. Maybe I shouldn't talk about this, but we're talking about self-managed abortion. Smoke a little weed. If I wanted to smoke <laughs> a little weed. Um, mm-hmm. Just do those little things that bring me comfort and help me relax that I couldn't do in a clinical setting. Um, so I was so surprised when literally I didn't even have to take off an article of clothing during my appointment. I, it was like the best thing in the world that all I had to do was lay down and pull my you know pajama pants down just a little bit so they could do that abdominal ultrasound. And then they could give me my medication and I could go home and go through the process on my own. So um, I was really, I remember being just shocked at how simple the appointment was. Um, I also, the clinic, I really expected it to be like raw, raw abortion, right? And I was really confused when the clinic wasn't like that. Um, the clinic was just very much like we're a doctor's office. I just really had this expectation in my head of it being like a place where, you know, we were going to be organizing and rallying. And mm-hmm. it, you know, it was just, it was just healthcare. Now that I've, you know, 
and I have distance from it and I've, you know, been involved with clinics, I understand. Like, yeah, there's a reason you just make it like healthcare because not everybody wants to turn their abortion into a rallying point either. So it was, you know, weird that it was just a normal medical office, but now that kind of makes more sense to me. And um, I just remember the appointment being really quick. Um, you know, I expected there to be more involved than there was. I don't know why, because literally they were just giving me medication. Um, you know, I remember the counseling piece, you know, really being the, the longest part. And that was just where they were. And it wasn't even, you know, counseling in the traditional sense. They were just trying to help me understand what to expect with this medication abortion process. So I wasn't scared or alarmed during any part of it. Um, mm-hmm. And they gave me my medications and I went home. And, um, you know, one one part of it that I do remember is that there, there was, even though I'm a like educated person and I understand about medication abortion and I made that choice for myself before I even got to the clinic, I didn't understand actually how medication abortion worked. And um, one of the things that I had decided was we wanted to get a hotel room because um, I just, and my mother, I was living with her new partner. And while I love him, I wasn't very comfortable in that environment mm-hmm. at that moment. And that was where I was going to be going through the abortion was in my mom's home. So we were just going to get a hotel room and just kind of make it like a, a girl's weekend. Um, so we got a hotel room for the first day of my appointment, which is when they give you the first medication. And then I found out that, you know, I'm basically that it didn't matter and I would still need to, um, you know, go through the process at home because we could only get the hotel room for one night. That was all we could afford. So mm-hmm. it kind of sucked because there was one element of it that I didn't really get, which was privacy just with my mom who was really my comfort level and instead I had to do it at her home which was still comfortable but it wasn't as private as I would have liked and then that was pretty much it um you know I you know the medication process happened for me the way it typically happens for most people and um I don't remember if I like did the follow-up care I probably skipped the follow-up because again I'm just I I am kind of weird about going to the doctor so mm-hmm. that was kind of what the in-clinic process was like for me mm-hmm Gotcha. I think you're you're not alone in feeling like the home or, or just sort of non-medical spaces can be cozier than that very clinical sort of environment. You know, I think that yeah. there will always be people who prefer the, the clinical setting just for their own personal reasons. But I think there will also always be people who um, prefer to do this privately, um, or as privately as possible. So do you feel like overall, as you look back at that initial moment when you were looking up herbs and trying to figure out what that process might look like, and then sort of going all the way through the the end of that experience at your mom's place, what do you feel, um, you would want to offer that person at the very outset of that experience, what words of either reassurance or insight or advice or what have you, would you want to put in her brain? So definitely I would want to lift up that no matter what way you decide to do this, like I respect it and I hope you have the resources you need to be able to do that in the way that you feel safest. Cause you know, I do, well, I'm thankful that I was forced to speak out to others to kind of like push me out of that place of stigma. Um, I know that that's not like, I know I was so lucky and actually having 
family that loved me and supported me enough to not do what I feared the worst in telling them, which is judge me. And there's so many people that they literally don't have any other resources other than I'm going to have to figure this out on my own, um, especially with, you know, what's going on across the country right now with clinics being shut down. There are going to be people that are going to be waking up today thinking they have an appointment and finding out that now there's not a clinic open within like 300 miles of them and they don't have a car and they don't have a family member that can drive them. So I, I first just hope and wish and will fight to make sure that you have the resources you need um, to end the pregnancy on your own terms in the way that feels most comfortable and safest to you. Um, and that I just really want to reassure people that um, even if you don't feel like you have support right now, keep working to find who your support people are because it's always good to talk about these things and um, it can just be little things, you know, like sharing on Facebook, like an article about an abortion rights issue and seeing who comments and like the people that comment in a really nice way, you like send them a little message and be like, Hey, like, by the way, like, so I had an abortion a few years ago and I just want to talk about it with someone. And, you know, will you talk about this with me? Um, and to know that you're not alone, you know, the statistic one in three, I guess some people say one in four, I think it's a lot closer to one in three because I don't think we learn about every abortion that happens, but this is such a universal experience. I just remember how alone I felt that first time. I felt like I was the only person in the world that had ever had to have an abortion. And sometimes that, that you know, you just want to feel sorry for yourself. And that's okay. Like, feel sorry for yourself. You're in a crappy situation. But also don't get sucked into that and realize you're not alone and that there are so many other people who have been through your situation who probably had circumstances very similar to yours and like they survived it and they got through on the other side. And so just like, always remember that even if you don't see it, you're not alone. Mm. <laughs> totally. I'm like yeah. welling up over here. I think from our perspectives as, you know, folks who are trying to build this storytelling work around SMA, um, I think that that's up front and center as like our number one goal is to reduce how alone people feel in this process. Like you're not alone in wanting to do this yourself, <laughs> first yeah. of all, and you're also not alone in having this experience once you've gone through it, uh, whether it's by yourself or in a clinic or what have you. Abortions are happen every day to people all over the world. Uh, and it's not an experience that you need to feel puts you in a box by yourself. It can be, yeah. uh, one that, that at least for, for some folks, you know, can lead to so many beautiful things in, in a lifetime, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I know you were talking about how your husband's career and life and future have been helped by, by the fact that parenthood didn't come at that first opportunity. And I was wondering if you could speak to um, the ways that your life has been able to, to go the way you want it to go, maybe as a, a result of not having chosen parenthood in that moment. Yeah. Um, so first, I think it's real important to lift up that I've really come to discover, you know, at the time that I had that abortion, which is also my first abortion, I've had several abortions. Um, I really realized I was, I didn't realize at that time, but I knew I was pretty undecided on the idea of having children at all. 
Um, I was still young enough that it wasn't really a solidified idea for me. Um, you know, I wasn't in a committed enough relationship where that was something I'd be discussing with my partner in a really serious way. But I just knew I, I never really had that urge to have children the way a lot of my friends, um, especially ones who had had kids, um, really demonstrated and expressed and verbalized. Um, and so, you know, my partner, as you can see, like I call him my husband now, like clearly our relationship was not harmed by the abortion. If anything, it was really strengthened. Um, I, you know, one thing that I really attribute my abortion to is like allowing me to explore this relationship with this person that is honestly the most amazing person I could ever be with. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, our love is really strong. It's really good. Um, it, I think we're in a place in our relationship emotionally and health wise that I think a lot of folks struggle to ever get to. And I think it's just because we allowed ourselves the time to just explore our relationship without the added pressure of like marriage or children or all this other stuff. Um, so, you know, first I get to enjoy like a really healthy, happy marriage. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, as I watch, you know, people around me, their marriages dissolve. I, I'm like feeling so, you know, nothing forever. And, you know, I'm not going to assume that it's like everything's perfect for us forever, but we just lack a lot of the stuff that really hurt those that I know that are in relationships that are struggling. And, um, I'm not going to say abortion is the only reason things are so healthy and great between us, but you know, I, I also really doubt we would be together right now if I had had a child. Um, and, so first, I'm just like so thankful that, you know, like as I'm sitting here in quarantine, I literally <laughs> get to be quarantined with someone that I don't hate, that <laughs> I, you know, don't want to, you know, send upstairs and be like, leave me alone. Like, we literally like love spending time together and are enjoying every moment of this. Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, my abortion really led to my career opportunities. And mm-hmm. I think this is not universal for everyone. Most people don't have an abortion and go on to do abortion rights work um, and work in a clinic and all of that. But those are all things that I've gotten to do. Um, and it's just kind of, you know, I've I've met new people. I've made, you know, great friends. Um, the volunteer work I do now is like really fulfilling. Um, it brings me a lot of joy. Um, it brings me a lot of satisfaction. And while it's like frustrating and hard and heartbreaking because I personalize a lot of it because it's all abortion related. It also is really energizing. And, um, you know, I now I like have this happy life where, you know, things are comfortable. I'm able to go on trips. I'm able to explore my community in the world. I'm able to be charitable when folks need charity. Um, Mm -hmm. um, a friend, you know, right after, um, the COVID shutdown started happening, she got laid off and, my husband and I were in a position where we could send her, um, not a huge sum, but a little bit of money and definitely enough to help, you know, keep bills paid and rent paid for, you know, at least a month. Um, and we probably couldn't have done that if we had a child, you know, like mm-hmm. we would probably right now be needing to conserve every little bit of funds to make sure that, you know, our resources are met. Um, but we don't have an extra mouth to feed, so we can just like worry about that. You know, we've got lovely pets that we really love one of them is sleeping on the couch next to me right now and um (laughs) it also allowed me the chance to actually explore if I want to have children without having a child here um and I think that's the biggest thing is you know I I had um another abortion that I actually attempted to self-manage um this 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 year um Mm -hmm. and it um was 
a moment when I, that pregnancy happened that I was really like, okay, A, like no one should ever judge anybody for getting pregnant because literally the last thing I want to get is to get pregnant and feel like my body is like, nah, like we're going to, like screw you, we're going to get pregnant. <laughs> don't care. And it's so, it's like such a frustrating reality. And now they like, really understand what some women are dealing with. Like some women are just fertile as hell and their birth control options are limited because of X, Y, and Z. And they're doing the best they can. But it's like the one time you slip up and stop tracking your fertility or don't use a condom or whatever it is, that is that one fail safe, you're going to get pregnant. And, and that was my reality. It's like I, I got a little complacent one time and all of a sudden I'm pregnant again. Um, <laughs> so it really allowed me the time to explore this and also understand like yeah I do not want to have children I am not one of those people that's going to have children it's a really hard thing to decide because I think all of society is just trying to convince you that there's something wrong with you or you're crazy or you're going to regret it it's a mental health thing if you don't want to have kids but in reality it's just it's not it's not meant for everybody and it's, it's really not something I'm meant for and you know there's so much love and support and good work I can do for my community when I'm not also having to worry about another life that depends solely on me. Not a hundred percent. And I think, um, that there aren't enough folks out there who are talking about that, who are talking about being someone who's like openly just like, no, like, I don't want to be a parent. This like, isn't something that feels like it's it's in my stars and that's great <laughs> like right. I want to hang with my pets on the couch and hang with my husband who I love and that's that's what I want so thank you so so much for letting us me plus listeners into that set of feelings and I wanted to land this interview uh, with the same question that we close all of our interviews with which is if you had a megaphone and were standing at the top of a building and could share one thing with the crowds below, what would it be? Oh boy. That's such a, oh, there's just like not one thing. There's so many things. <laughs> it's so fine. Um, you can cram a lot in there. Yeah. I would say trust people, love them where they're at and just, Leave people who want to have abortion the hell alone, um, and, and clear some space for them to explore these feelings without all of your bullshit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a very positive way to phrase it, but I just think so often our decisions get clouded by what we think society expects of us, what we think our family expects of us, what we think our loved ones expect of us. And it can really push us into a place where making our decisions are impossible. And if they aren't impossible, they're impossible to get over. And mm. I really, I want people to be able to make those choices without fearing the shame, stigma, and judgment of those that they love the most. I think that's a, a really just fireplace to land. And that's it for this episode. We want to get these stories to folks who are looking for them. If you know of anyone who wants to learn more about this topic, a friend, family member, or colleague, 
please share this episode with them. Our goal is to demystify this conversation and what that takes is talking about it. Head over to our website, smapodcast.org, to get the resources discussed in this interview, as well as the transcript, which we have in both Spanish and English. Thank you for listening, and have a good one. Thank you.